All right, so we have a great children's pastor here at this church. Uh, she's doing a wonderful job. She's becoming a great preacher as well. And so I want you to welcome up Sarah Anderson. Let's welcome her up. All right, thank you. Good morning. Happy Father's Day. All right, well, today we're going to continue in our Rise Above series going through 2 Timothy. And our passage today is chapter 3, verses 10 through 17. So, as a review, this is a letter that Paul has written to Timothy. Paul's sitting in jail on death row, and he knows that he's about to die. And so he writes this letter to Timothy, his spiritual son. So let's start in verse 10. You, however... Know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for all of the people that you've brought into this church this morning. I pray that you would open our minds to your revelation, that you would open our hearts to your love, and that we would hear what you would have us hear today. Thank you for being here. Amen. All right, so our passage starts out with you, however, so it's clearly connected to the previous passage. Wilson preached last week on chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. He did a great job. If you missed it, go back and listen. But in that time, Paul describes the last days and some of the false teachers that live in the last days. Well, we live in the last days too. The last days, Wilson described it beautifully. The last days are the time between when Jesus ascended and when Jesus comes back. So we are all living in the last days. And Paul describes these teachers, these false teachers, and how awful they were. It says they were lovers of themselves and all these adjectives. In fact, Wilson had such a hard time reading the message, that passage over and over preparing for the, his message. He went back and he made like a positive version of it and flipped it and spun it because it, it's just a really hard passage to read. So Paul draws a clear distinction here between the, those people in verses 1 through 9 and Timothy. You, Timothy, you, however... So he doesn't come right out and say, Timothy, you're not like those people, but he kind of does. He says, you, however, and then he goes on to describe how Timothy knows Paul. So what makes Timothy different from all of those people? How does Timothy keep the kingdom inside of him? That's what we're going to look at today, and we'll have three main points that we're going to draw out from the passage. So the first one is this, that persecution happens. It just does. It's a fact of being a Christian is that you're going to encounter some persecution. 
Paul reminds Timothy of some of the times that he himself was persecuted while reminding Timothy that he knows Paul. Timothy knows Paul really well. They were like spiritual father and son. And so he knows the good things that Paul has done. He knows the times that Paul has gone into a city and preached and the city's been changed. He knows the time that Paul has prayed for people. But he also knows the hard things that Paul's gone through. The hard things, the terrible things, the unfair things, the times he was persecuted. But persecution is the one specific thing that Paul pulls out here and says, Timothy, you know the persecution that I've gone through. But beyond that, Timothy knows how Paul has responded to that persecution. He's seen how Paul has walked that out in his life. How do we know that God has rescued Paul from all of this persecution? Well, he's alive. He's writing a letter. In those days, in Paul's days, if you were persecuted, a lot of times you just ended up dead. So God has rescued Paul, and he's brought Paul out of this persecution. And he, he reminds Timothy of that. So why does persecution even happen? Well, we're in the last days, like it says in chapter 3, verse 1. We're in the last days. We're in a battle with our adversary, Satan. And things are heating up. Our victory has been assured. Our victory is promised. We have it. But there's still the battle that continues. And if you want to hear more about it, Wilson really talked about that last week, and it was great. So persecution is one tactic of our enemy to try to throw us off our game, to try to get us to be quiet and to stop spreading the kingdom of God. But this isn't the only time that Paul tells us that we have to expect persecution. He actually says it four different times in different ways in different letters written to different people or different churches. It's not just a one-off thing. Four times. Jesus tells us eight times to expect persecution, suffering, or to be hated by the world. If we are persecuted, it should not come as a surprise. We don't have to be anticipating it. We don't have to be looking back over our shoulder and waiting for the, the shoe to drop and for somebody to persecute us. It's not that kind of mentality that we have to have, but we shouldn't be surprised. It shouldn't come as a shock to us if we are persecuted. Jesus says in John 15, 18, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. So persecution is going to happen, but we can't live with an us versus them mindset. We can't live with Christians and non-Christians, believers and non-believers, and we can't look at every non-believer as a potential persecutor of us. We can't live like that. That's not a healthy mindset. That's not a loving mindset. This isn't quite right, but the phrase, expect the best, but prepare for the worst, comes to mind. We have to expect that every interaction that we have with somebody that's not in the family of God is going to result in them coming into the family of God. That the Holy Spirit's going to move, that God's going to move, it's going to be an inspired moment, it's going to be a moment that changes their life, and it's going to be awesome. We have to go into interactions with that sort of expectancy. We have to. That's loving. That's kingdom. That's what we have to do. We can't go into it thinking, oh, They're going to make fun of me. They're going to reject me. They're going to punch me. They're going to hurt me. We can't go into interactions like that. We just can't. 
But at the same time, the prepare for the worst, you don't necessarily have to prepare for it. But if persecution happens, if someone rejects you or makes fun of you, you just have to kind of accept it. It shouldn't be a surprise. It shouldn't be a shock. And you just kind of take it and then you move on. You move forward. You keep your eyes on the next interaction that you're going to have and the fact that God's going to show up in that one. You keep that perspective and you keep moving forward. Because if we're honest, we live in America. And the kind of persecution that we endure isn't anything like what Paul endured. He names three persecutions in this passage. When he was in Antioch, he was thrown out of the city for preaching the gospel. When he was in Iconium, he was threatened with being stoned, and so he had to flee to save his life. And then when he was in Lystra, he was actually stoned and left outside the city for dead. The only reason they didn't kill him is because they thought he was already dead. We're not going to experience that. Chances are. Let's say you go downtown and you decide to do servant evangelism and you've got a cooler full of water bottles and you're handing out free water to people. Well, what's the reaction? Well, you're giving them something free so they might, you know, react favorably. Some people still are just going to ignore you. They're going to cross to the opposite side of the street because they don't want to interact with you. Some people are going to give you weird looks. Even as you're handing them a free bottle of water, they're going to look at you kind of weirdly because you're doing something that's not in their frame of mind. Why would you give me something free? Are you going to get thrown out of Cincinnati for handing out water bottles and telling people that Jesus loves them? No. You're not going to be kicked out. I promise. The chance of that happening is zero. Non-existent. Are you going to be physically harmed? I mean, the chances are there, but it's very small. And if you are physically harmed, those people can be prosecuted. The law is on your side. You have the right to tell people that Jesus loves them. You have the right to free speech. Are you going to be killed for handing out water bottles and telling people Jesus loves them? I'm going to say no. I'm I'm just going to say I don't think that's going to happen. The persecution that we experience here is on a different level than what Paul was experiencing. But at the same time, we have brothers and sisters right now living in Iraq, living in Afghanistan, that do not have that same freedom. Where the chances of them getting physically abused, physically harmed, thrown out of the city, killed, are very, very real. There are different levels and degrees of persecution. Now that's not to say that we don't experience persecution here and that the persecution that we experience isn't hurtful and isn't real. Because it is, and it can have real effects on our lives. We had a memorial service for Larry Crouch last weekend, and he was a staff member here and a member of this church for a long time. And Van was telling me a story about a time that Larry was pretty high up in a company, and the owner of the company asked him to do something unethical. And Larry refused, and he was fired. That's because of his faith. Now, God rescued him from that. If I have the story correct, he ended up starting his own company and being a very successful man. God rescued him from that persecution, but it had very real effects in that time. It was hard. People have lost family members, relationships with family members, relationship with friends. They've had to quit jobs. There's very real things that happen due to our faith. 
But here's a challenge for you. Paul says everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. If we aren't experiencing persecution in any way, are we actually living a godly life? If we've never experienced persecution in any way, any shape, any form, are we actually living a godly life? Are we living a life that kind of rubs against the fabric of society and creates friction and things happen? Now, a few caveats to this. Paul wasn't beaten every day. He wasn't thrown out of the city every day. You're not going to necessarily experience persecution on a daily basis. But if we never experience it, if nothing bad ever happens to us, are we actually living out that life of faith? Another caveat, I found this quote in a commentary that I was reading to prepare. It is possible to be persecuted for being obnoxious rather than obedient. Don't go looking for trouble. Obey Christ and let the troubles find you. Sometimes you're just being obnoxious and people respond in kind and treat you poorly. That's not persecution. That's natural consequences. I tell that to my kids sometimes. Like, if you're mean to your brother, he might be mean back to you. That's just natural consequences. We are called to live in truth, and we're called to hold tightly to truth and walk in truth, but we're also called to live in gentleness, and we're called to live in love. You can't poke the bear and then act like a martyr when the bear responds like a bear. I see this a lot on social media. You can see people on social media that just have an agenda. And every post that even kind of somewhat resembles their agenda, they're going to post on it, and discord and strife just kind of follows them around the internet. That's not persecution. We should not be living in discord and strife. We should be living in love and gentleness. In 1 Peter 4, 14 to 16, it says, If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Peter is saying here that if you are truly suffering for Jesus, you are blessed. If you're on Facebook and you're sharing a testimony of how God has worked in your heart, worked in your life, worked through you to change somebody else's heart or their life, and then somebody responds rudely or obnoxiously on your Facebook feed, well, then you're blessed. Because you went at it with pure motives and a pure heart posture of just sharing the goodness of God. Then you're blessed. That's persecution. But we should not suffer by going to jail or having the death penalty because we've murdered someone. Okay? We as Christians should not murder. And if we do murder and we suffer for being a murderer, that's not persecution. That's justified. But then Paul or Peter adds meddler to the list of these crimes. Are you a meddler? 
If you are suffering because you're meddling in other people's business or in their affairs, it's not persecution. You shouldn't be doing that. You should be living humbly in gentleness and in love. Yes, we hold the truth, but we love above all. We shouldn't be meddling in people's business. If you bear persecution, it should be because you are representing the name of Jesus Christ well. And we don't have to fear persecution. God rescued Paul from all of his persecution. We don't have to fear it. And even if he didn't rescue Paul, even if Paul would have died, he says in Philippians, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. We get to go be with Jesus. We don't have to fear it. So number one, persecution happens. Number two, you need to persevere through persecution. What is your response to persecution? Do you respond in gentleness? Do you respond in love? Have you kept that correct mindset that Paul has? Let's look back at chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves. People who are lovers of themselves are worried about self-preservation. If I'm a lover of myself and somebody persecutes me, I'm out. This is no fun. I'm not following Jesus anymore. This doesn't work for me. See you later. And I'm going to go pursue my own gain. We are not called to be lovers of ourselves. We are not called to self-preservation. We are called to pursue the kingdom of God and to bring the kingdom of God. We need to keep our eyes on the end goal. If we experience persecution, you just kind of absorb the blow of that and you keep moving forward. You keep pressing forward. We're not always going to see the rewards of advancing the kingdom of God in this lifetime. We're going to talk about that more in a couple weeks when we get to chapter 4. But a lot of times we do see the cost. Persecution happens. Keep moving forward. Keep your eyes and keep your mind on what you know to be true. Because our minds can be fickle. Sometimes it can seem like you're plugging away and you're worshiping God and you're doing everything right and you're making the ethical choices like Larry Crouch did and still you seem to be getting hit from every side. And then you look at people that maybe aren't making the most ethical choices, the most moral choices, and they seem to just skate through life. And nothing really happens to them. And again, not an us versus them mindset, but I think you've all been there. I've been there. And it can be easy to say, oh, they have it so easy. I wish I could just be like them. I wish I could do that. But guys, the happiness and the satisfaction that they seem to be experiencing is not real. It's surface level. It's superficial and it's artificial. When we are pressing on towards the kingdom of God, we have access to real, true, eternal peace and eternal joy that is real. We have to keep our eyes on that and keep our eyes on the goal and not be distracted by the things that are going on around us. In verse 13, where it says, evil men and imposters go from bad to worse. In Greek, that actually means that they're progressing towards wickedness. 
So we see people around us that seem to be progressing towards wickedness. We need to progress towards the kingdom of God. We need to keep moving that way. We have very different goals. We need to keep our goal in mind, even in the midst of persecution. In verse 14, Paul again draws a distinction between those false teachers and between Timothy when he says, but as for you... Continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you have learned it. We are to persevere to continue through because we know the people that we learned it from. Timothy had deep spiritual roots. Paul was his spiritual father. And we've heard about his mother and his grandmother, Lois and Eunice in chapter one. Timothy knew these people. Think about how well you know your mom or your grandmother. And their faith, if they were faithful women, how well you know their faith. Timothy knew them. He knew what they believed. He knew how they walked out their faith. He knew how they responded to trials. He knows that they aren't crazy or off base or delusional to believe in Jesus because he actually knows them. I think we all have times when we struggle or doubt in our faith. At times when I've struggled, all I have to do is think about Di Lehman or Robbie Dawkins, or Van Cochran, or Putty Putman. Those people aren't crazy. They're not delusional. They're not off their rocker. They are some of the smartest, most well-read people I've ever met. And it comforts me and it bolsters me to know that I'm not off on some island all by myself believing this incredible truth that the creator of the universe loves me. And wants to know me and be in relationship with me and empower me to go out and do his work. Sometimes that seems like I can't even grasp it. Then I think about these people that have taught me. That are so smart and so well read and so grounded in their faith. And it just kind of brings you back. Oh, that's right. I'm not crazy. Because I remember who I learned it from. Today being Father's Day, I have to point out the example of faith my own father has set for me. He shared his faith with me in so many different ways, but the way I would say it the most is that he's just steadfast. He's just steady. He doesn't waver. He knows that God is good. He knows that God will provide. And he makes sure that the rest of us remember that too. You know, my mom and I can be a little wordy at times, And we can enjoy talking about things for a long time. And my dad, not so much. That's why my dad and my mom are a good pair. My mom talks and my dad listens. And it works. But my mom and I will talk around and around the situation. And we'll kind of get out all our thoughts and all our feelings and all our everything. And my dad, the kind man that he is, he sits there and he listens. And then at the end, he will passionately proclaim the goodness of God. And that God is going to provide. Sometimes he almost sounds angry when he says it because he has such conviction that God is good. I've shared before about how when I was 12, I had a cardiac arrest episode and my dad is the one that resuscitated me. And from that day, he has proclaimed the goodness of God over that situation. That God had a plan for my life, that God saved me for a purpose, and that God is good. At times where his daughter died in front of him, where he had to resuscitate her, it would be very easy to say, this is awful. What kind of God do we serve? This is terrible. Not once. Not once. It's been almost 24 years, I think. I lose track. But often, 
still, he will come up to me, tears in his eyes, and say this. This is why God saved you. And he finds moments in my life, and he, he just draws that calling out of me. And he marks it, and he calls it by name, and he proclaims the goodness of God. I know my father's faith. He's back there. That's why I keep gesturing that way. (laughs) But I know his faith. So if I'm persecuted, if I'm going through trials, I just have to think of my dad. I know what he would say. After I spill out everything I want to say, I know what he's going to say. I know it. We have to know the people that brought us to the faith. We have to know their stories. We have to know how they live out their faith. You know, an interesting point is that the three persecutions that Paul names all occurred prior to Paul and Timothy being in relationship with each other. They didn't actually know each other when all that happened in Iconium and Lystra and Antioch. But Paul still names it and says, Timothy, you know what I went through. Because they were in such close relationship that he did. He did know. We don't have to be actually physically present or relationally connected with somebody to be connected to their history, to be connected to their story. Van will share the history of our church every so often, usually around the anniversary of the church starting. And I've been here for about 12 years, so sometimes it feels like I know all the stories. But back at the beginning of our time here, I didn't know any of the stories. And when he would share, I would almost be filled with like this sense of longing of, oh my gosh, why did it take us so long to find this church, to get connected to these people? We missed so much. But then Van said, if you weren't here for this part of the story, it is still your story. God knew you were coming. You are a part of this church, and this is just as much your history as the people who were here at the time. And man, did that open my heart up. That was when I really felt fully welcomed and fully a part of this thing and ready to step in and embrace all of this church as my church. It was an invitation to own this church, to own its history. If we have a heart connection, our histories connect. They intertwine. We are intertwined together in the body of Christ. If you haven't been here long, it doesn't matter. God knew you were coming. If you don't know Van really well, it doesn't matter. If you have a heart connection with him, your histories connect. Who is somebody that you admire in the faith? Who's somebody that's like a spiritual father or spiritual mother to you? Make that connection with them. It doesn't matter if you weren't there for all of their history. It matters that you have a heart connection with them. We're all connected in the body of Christ. See, Jesus says that we are in him, and he is in us, and he's in the Father, but then we are also the body of Christ. We're all connected to each other. In fact, when Saul was converted, when Jesus came and met with him, Jesus says to him, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He doesn't say, Saul, why are you persecuting Christians? He says, why are you persecuting me? When we are persecuted, Jesus is persecuted. Because we have a heart connection. We're connected. Our history is intertwined with Jesus' history. We have a heart connection. But beyond that, we are connected with the body of Christ. 
If our brothers and sisters are being persecuted around the world, we are being persecuted. I was really convicted this week that I need to be in prayer for the body of Christ around the world. Our brothers and sisters do not have the same freedoms and blessings that we have. We need to be in prayer for them, for their safety, for their bodies, their physical bodies, for their mental and emotional well-being, because it affects us. We're connected. We are all one as the body of Christ. So persecution happens. We need to persevere through persecution. And number three, scripture equips us. The connection with other people can help us get through persecution, but scripture is what really is going to ground you. Verse 15, And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In that last sentence, the word equipped is in the emphatic position, grammatically in the Greek. So that means that the whole point of the sentence is the word equipped. The point of knowing scripture is so that we can be equipped. Equipped to teach, to be spiritual fathers and mothers, to bring others into the kingdom. Equipped to rebuke and correct. Scripture is useful to help bring others and especially to bring ourselves back onto the path of righteousness when we fall off to one side or the other. We need scripture in our lives. Timothy had known scripture from infancy, it says. Now, if you know me, you know I like to capitalize on a good opportunity. As the children's pastor, I have to ask, are you bringing your kids to church regularly? Timothy knew the scriptures from infancy. Your kiddos need to be here. They need to be learning the scriptures. It's important. If they're going to be world changers, they have to know the Bible. They have to. They are never too young. Do your kids have Bibles? They need Bibles. Are they memorizing the scripture? We actually pay the kids to bring a Bible to class. These are jam bucks. Kids jam is our class. I made these bucks for the kids. The first ones had pictures of Van's face right here. (laughs) And then that was a little weird, so I took those off. (laughs) Now they just have grapes. But we pay the kids. They get a dollar every week if they bring a Bible. They get another dollar if they know the scripture verse. They get another dollar if they bring a friend or if they serve on the prayer team or the greeting team. I am not above bribing children to learn the Bible. I'm not above it. And then we have a store and it's open the first Sunday of the month and they get to buy glow-in-the-dark slime and whoopee cushions and all sorts of stuff. But are your kids here? Are they learning scripture? I came across a study a couple months ago and it's just kind of been stirring and I haven't really done much with it. But this study looked at adults that came to church as kids and how their faith has continued or not continued. And they looked at how often they were brought to church as children. Kids that came to church every week, only 22% of those kids, of those adults, said that they had changed their faith. 
Now that's still a pretty high number. That's like a fifth of all people surveyed had changed from their childhood faith. And then there were statistics for kids that were brought to church two or three times a month. And then there were statistics for less often than two or three times a month and then never. The kids that came less often than two to three times a month, 47% changed their faith by the time they were an adult. It's important how often you bring your kiddos to church. We want them. Bring them. I will teach them. Alexandria, April, we will teach your kids scripture, but you need to teach your kids scripture too. An hour a week is not enough. It's just not. Why do you think Timothy was a world changer? Partly because he knew the scriptures from infancy. Why do you think only 22% turned away from their faith? Because every Sunday school you go to across the country, they're going to hear at least one Bible verse. It gets into their heart. It gets into their mind. It's important that these kids hear the Bible. Now, if you don't have kids, do you have a neighbor that needs to come? Do you have grandkids that need to come? Nieces and nephews? Are you serving in kids' ministry? You want to make an impact on the world? Come serve in kids' ministry. We need you. We always need more hands. There are some churches that have a policy that if you are a parent, you have to serve in kids' ministry a certain number of Sundays a year. I don't like that. I Honestly, I try not to recruit parents. If you're a parent and you serve, please keep serving. We love you. We're thankful for you. But parents are on the front lines 24 hours a day, seven days a week, training up their kids. They don't need to be doing it on Sunday mornings. They need time and space and freedom on Sunday mornings to sit and learn themselves. So if you don't have kids, if you're in college, if you're just married, if you're an empty nester, a grandparent, if you don't have kids in the home, come and serve. We need you. It is important that kids learn the scriptures from infancy. The more people we have, the more we can teach them. And if you don't want to serve on Sundays, grab an envelope and fill it up for camp. (laughs) All right, I'm done. I'll step off my soapbox for that. So, the scripture that Paul is referring to in 2 Timothy is the Hebrew scriptures. But we believe that the New Testament also is God-breathed and also is useful. And there are Obviously, it's useful, but useful in the context of the verse. And there are good arguments for applying this verse to the New Testament as well, but I'm not going to go into all of those today. But here's the point. The Old Testament points to Jesus. We can't just forget about the Old Testament. It points to Jesus. We can't throw it aside. Paul says that it can make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. We don't read the Bible to get saved. It can open our minds and it can make us wise to be saved, but it's only faith in Jesus that saves us. And we don't read the Bible just to know things. Paul doesn't say all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for winning arguments or useful for getting Jeopardy answers correct. We read the Bible because it is how it, we become equipped to go out and change the world, how we get equipped to bring the kingdom of God. We read the Bible to know the words of God. It was breathed by God. That's an intimate thing. To be in something that someone breathed. That's intimate. 
being intimate with the words of the Father, that's going to equip me to transform the world. We have to be in Scripture. So to wrap things up, persecution happens. You have to persevere through it, and Scripture is going to equip you. Paul was really setting in place two dependable guides for Timothy to lean on when he's not there anymore. Paul's example of his life, Timothy, you know my life, you know how I lived it, you can live the same way, and scripture. Scripture is going to equip you. This is what you need. Keep yourself grounded in the scripture, Timothy. Hebrews 13, 7 says, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Paul was encouraging Timothy to imitate his faith. Whose faith are you imitating? Who are you running after? And are you someone that someone else wants to imitate your faith? That's my goal. That's what I want to do. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for your truth. I thank you for your scripture. Thank you for every child that you've brought into this church. (laughs) I thank you for them. I pray that you would just empower this church body to care for these children well, to raise them up, that these children would be world changers. All of the kids in this building would be world changers. We pray for the body of Christ around the world. We pray that you would protect them, protect their bodies, protect their minds, keep them safe. Give them safe places to be. Pray that you would give them endurance and strength and that supernaturally right now you would be there with them, that they would feel your presence, your joy, and your peace. We thank you for them. In Jesus' name. Amen. Right, we're going to move into the worship portion of our service. So we'll start by receiving the offering. If you're on the far left of a row, you can grab the offering basket and pass it on down the row. Thank you for giving so generously. So Father, we thank you for this money that's being given so generously. We pray that you would just be in every budget that's represented by the families in this room that you would provide for their families for their houses for all of their needs with your abundance and you would provide for the needs of this church in jesus name amen